Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Elhamdülillah. Salatu vesselamu ala Resulillah ve ala alihi ve sahbihi ve min wala. Sayyidaftafan babli itikaf. Kalan musannifu rahimuhullah ta'ala ve nefarallahu yahu bi ilmihi fi dalin. Amin. Babli itikaf huwa ala thalatati aqsam. Vacibun fil menzur ve sünnetu kifayetin ve akkeretun fil aşrin akhiri min ramadan. Ve mustahabun fi ma siwahu. والصوم شرط لصحة المنظور وأقله نفلا لحظة بنية في مسجد جماعة ولا يخرج منه إلا لحاجة شرعية كالجمعة أو طبيعية كالبول أو ضرورية كالإخراج مكراها فيدخل غيره فورا فإن لم يكن له عذر بطل بخروجه والمرأة تعتكف في محل عينته في محل عينته للصلاة من بيتها سبحان الله This is our hukum now for all of us وأكله وشربه ونومه وبيعه في المسجد بلا إحضار السلعة وكرها إحضارها والصمت والتكلم إلا بخير وحرم الوطء ودواعيه وبطل بوطئه وبالإنزال بدواعيه ولزمته الليالي بنظر اعتكاف الأيام والأيام بنظر الليالي متتابعة وإن لم يشرت التتابع والليلتان بنظر يومين بسم الله قال المترجم حفظه الله تعالى ونفر الله يهبي علمي في الدارين أمين Spiritual retreat in the mosque اعتكاف The spiritual retreat is of three types One must have uh, intention to do so Number one is mandatory wajib when one takes a vow to perform it Number two is emphasized communal sunnah in the last ten nights of Ramadan that is, in the commentary, in the footnote, that is, if any member of the community performs it, the sunnah is fulfilled such that there is no sin on the others for leaving it without a valid excuse. Yet if no one performs it, then the entire community is in blame for leaving it and potentially in sin if habitually left. Number three is recommended, and that's any other retreat. So this is the itikaf to go into the masjid and to isolate oneself for worship and to intend to stay there. Fasting is a condition for the validity of the vowed spiritual retreat. For the vowed spiritual retreat only, the first one only. The minimum period of time to fulfill a voluntary retreat, the third type, is a moment with its intention. As And as with all types of spiritual retreat, it is valid only in a mosque of congregation. That is, a mosque with an imam and a mu'adhan. Some stipulated that all five prayers must be performed there in congregation, while others did not. The two companions maintained that any mosque would suffice, and some scholars preferred this opinion as it is easier, especially in latter times. So, uh, this is an important point, right? So you can make i'tikaf with intention going into the masjid for any amount of time. So it's probably next time we're able to go to Masajid, that would be a good thing to do. May Allah help us to remember that. Um, 
The woman performs a spiritual retreat in that area of her house, which she is gen which she in general has designated for her prayer, her salat. Oh, I skipped a whole bunch. Never mind. Um, one may not leave his place of retreat except for a legitimate need based on the sacred law, such as to pray the Friday prayer in the main community mosque. Um, or for a natural need, such as to urinate, or due to an emergency, such as if forced to leave under coercion. In any of these cases, he should immediately enter another mosque upon fulfilling the need. If there were no valid excuse, then the spiritual retreat would be invalidated by his leaving the mosque. So, uh, you don't leave without excuse. The woman performs the spiritual retreat in that area of her house, which she in general has designated for her prayer. Um, he says in the footnote, in general, it is recommended for a woman to designate a place in the house for prayers, just as it is recommended for a man to do so for his voluntary prayers. This is what we should be doing now. There should be a spot in the house. Uh, or an area in the house. We try at least that this is the prayer area. The woman's retreat then should be in her designated prayer area. If she nevertheless did it in the mosque, it would be valid, yet mildly disliked, or according to some, merely contrary to what is optimal. Hmm. <coughs> Also, her retreat is not valid in any part of her house aside from her designated prayer area. If she does not have a designated prayer area, it is not valid anywhere in her house. Very interesting. She may, however, simply designate such an area in her house when she desires to perform the retreat. When performing the retreat in her designated prayer space, she may not leave the area until the retreat is over. Finally, she should get her husband's permission first before doing her retreat. Once he grants it to her, he is not allowed to re renege on his permission and have intercourse with her. Okay, so we'll leave the details on that one. But uh, I think it's interesting, this idea of having a, like a place in the house for Salat and designating that. <coughs> so, uh, and I think that that, again, is something that we should all be doing right now. And I hope that maybe Allah will give us the reward uh, for the men. The women, mashallah, the, the door is open for them when it comes to their i'tikaf. Mashallah, they can do i'tikaf really any time when you think about that, right? Like they have a spot. They could be going into their room for 15 minutes and make, make niya for i'tikaf. Or into the space and make niya for i'tikaf. That's incredible. But uh, for the brothers... It has to be in the masjid. Mm, I would hope that in a time like this where the masjid are closed, that the ruling of the woman applies to the man. So this is a case where the man hopes for the ruling of the woman. Uh, and inshallah, may Allah accept from us. This is a good reminder. Mashallah. Mm. It is permissible for the man. Uh, did I, yeah, I read the whole section. It is permissible for the man performing the spiritual retreat to eat, drink, sleep, and even buy or sell. This is being made specific mention um, because he's in the masjid, right? Um, even buy or sell in the mosque, provided the commodity for sale is not brought inside the mosque, as to do so is disliked. It is also disliked to remain silent or to speak other than good. 
so that needs a footnote. The footnote, the first one is, that is, it is not disliked for one performing the spiritual retreat to conduct a purchase or sale in the mosque if the transaction is for something he or his dependents need, as long as the commodity is not brought inside. It is disliked, however, to conduct a transaction in the mosque if merely for his usual business, even if the commodity is not brought inside the mosque. SubhanAllah, different, different lives. Mm. If you have a job, like you have a, a, you know, hourly job or whatever, salary job, that allows you to work away from home, so you could theoretically do etikaf and w work during the day, then uh, that would be, I, th I, I would hope that that would be acceptable, especially if you can't really take the time off, um, because especially if you can't take the time off, like, you know, you can't just not work because you have savings or something, right? Because then you're going to lose your job and your job is a necessary thing and so on and so forth. So, um, yeah, and even fiqhi sa'ah, even if there's... This is why I said that when we get into ibadat and stuff, you know, you're really... When, when you're studying your madhab, you're really... Like in terms of actual practice, you're basically talking about tahara and salah and some of psalm and maybe some of zakat. But the rest of studying your madhab is more or less like just learning fiqh, learning the capacity and acumen for fiqh. Because practically speaking, a lot of things are going to draw from other schools and other opinions and so on. Especially when the Hanafi's makru is so serious. <coughs> uh, for the silence that is it is disliked to remain silent if one believes that silence in and of itself is an act of worship as that belief is prohibited as opposed to remaining silent in order to guard one's speech without believing that it is an act of worship in which case it is not disliked so you're remaining silent because you're controlling your speech not because you think that that act of silence is in and of itself an act of worship if one makes a vow to perform the spiritual retreat for a certain number of days, he must remain in his retreat during the accompanying nights as well. Similarly, a vow of nights necessitates their accompanying days. This type of retreat must be performed in consecutive days and nights, not separately, even if he did not explicitly stipulate consecutiveness in the vow. <coughs> so someone says, I'm going to make a'tikaf. I swear by Allah that I'm going to make a'tikaf for three days or something like that. Then they'd have to do so, including the nights, <coughs> and consecutively. If he makes a vow for two days, he must perform his retreat for the accompanying two nights as well. Meaning that he begins at Maghrib. In general, one enters the mosque for the retreat before Maghrib of the first night, and leaves after Maghrib of the last day. Wallahu a'lam. <coughs> Excuse me. Now we're going to this guy here. I just sent it. I'm sending it right now in the chat box.
So, if you recall, when we um, did the things that break the fast and so on, there's a lot of details, and you get kind of like, oh my god, this is overwhelming. This little PDF here is your friend. It's called Principles on What Invalidates the Fast, based on the article, Dabit al-Mufattirat by Mufti Rafi Usmani. Should be able to find it online. Principles on what invalidates the fast. So, let's take a look. Bismillah. Um, basically, they say it's largely a summary of Mufti Rafi Osmani's brilliant article, Dabat al Mufattirat. Um, but it does make certain rearrangements and changes and adjustments. Generally, there are two things that break the fast. A substance from outside entering into the body and sexual relations. This treatise reflects those two points and has two main sections. Section 1 deals with what enters the body. That's based on Mufti Rafi Osmani's work. And Section 2 deals with sexual relations. And it's not based on his work, but it's retracted from, extracted from reliable books of fiqh. So these are the two sections. Uh, they have a really nice point here that when it comes to dealing with invalidating the fast, it's important to remember that issues relating to substances entering the body, how they enter and where they end in the body are a medical science and not something exclusively taken from the books of fiqh. So there's a principle and that principle is applied and understood according to what the medicine tells us. Um, And it's also important that whatever, to keep in mind that whatever invalidates the fast is built upon certain principles thus, invalidation of the fast is not something emotional in the sense that it does not in itself matter whether something enters into the body, uh, the purpose of entry and whether benefit was derived from it or not. Like it's not, the point is not how you feel about it or whether it benefited or what was the purpose behind it. What matters is whether or not the principle was uh, infringed upon. So let's see what they are. And it says this is based on the Hanafi school. Section 1 What enters into the body? The section of what enters into the body deals with five discussions the presence of a substance, the place the substance must reach in the body, the point from which it enters, the substance gaining an independent stay and the presence of excuses. So these are the five things. Presence of the substance, where does it reach? How did it come in? Does it stay in the place that it reaches by itself? And are there any excuses? Okay. 1.1, the presence of a substance. A substance that can invalidate the fast is anything that has a discernible body. Okay, anything that has a discernible body. Uh, the size is of no immediate consideration as long as it's something that's visible normally. And so it can be big and easy to identify like a lump of meat or it can be small and not easy like smoke. Smoke has a physical uh, discernible body to it. This entails that things like grain, flour, small drops of water, steam and the like are all considered substances that can invalidate the fast because they have a physical, discernible body. 
It is of no consequence whether the substance has nutritional or medicinal value or not. It is of no consideration whether the substance is something edible or not, liquid or solid, or whether it melts or not. A sensation in the mouth does not necessarily entail that a substance has entered the mouth. Smelling something does not necessarily entail that a substance has entered the nose. What will determine whether the substance is invalidating or not is if it has a discernible body, and it is only if the substance has a discernible body that it can break the fast. So then at the end, they give you the summary principle. Only a substance with discernible body invalidates the fast. That which does not have a discernible body does not invalidate the fast. So this is point number one, you remember. 1.2, the place of reaching. In order for the fast to be invalidated, then a substance must reach the digestive system of the body. In this context, the digestive system of the body is composed of throat, stomach, intestines. Throat, stomach, intestines. It is these three which are considered in terms of invalidation of the fast, meaning that it is only if a substance reaches one of these three that the fast is broken. And if a substance does not reach any of these three, then it will not invalidate the fast. So if a substance entered into the stomach, then it would invalidate the fast. But if a substance entered into the finger, the thigh, or the like, then it would not invalidate the fast. Okay, so second principle. Fast is invalidated if a substance reaches the digestive system. Fast is not invalidated if the substance does not reach the digestive system. So one of the examples that came up in the text was injections. You get an injection in your arm. It's not going to... It's a discernible body, but it's not going to a place of, for, that's part of the digestive system. 1.3, the point of entry. The point of entry. A substance reaches the digestive system, throat, stomach, and intestines through certain entry points. In this context, the body has seven natural points of entry. Seven natural points of entry. The mouth, the nose, the ears, the eyes, the anus, the vagina, and the urinal passage. You know what's remarkable about the passages that lead into the body and fasting? Is that physically fasting, we refrain from physical things entering our body from these passageways. And the spiritual practice of fasting is to refrain from things entering your heart basically from these passageways the, the like the the routes to the inside are the same it's just physical things or non-physical things that are coming into the heart one can add to these an injury that goes into the body here the scholars classif classically mention two kinds of injuries a deep head injury an injury so deep that it reaches the brain and a deep abdominal injury, an injury so deep that it reaches the stomach or intestines. That's uh, an A, uh, goes into the body. B, the outer body, since it is possible for the skin to absorb. That would be pores of the skin, it's pores of the body. Thus, there are in total 10 entry points into the body that are considered from where a substance can potentially reach the digestive system. Okay. Now, so this is, he's doing general overview, not necessarily that all these 10 are going to apply. So keep that in mind as we proceed. The entry points can have three relations with the digestive system. First, they are directly linked with the digestive system. Second, they are indirectly linked. Third, they are not linked. 
What matters in terms of invalidating the fast is that the substance reaches the digestive system through one of these entry points. This entails that whichever entry point that allows a substance to reach the digestive system, whether directly or indirectly, is an invalidating entry point. A fast is only invalidated when the substance reaches the digestive system from an invalidating entry point. So it has to get through the to the digestive system. Whichever entry point that does not result in the substance reaching the digestive system will not be considered an invalidating entry point. Therefore, the fast will not be invalidated by anything entering from an entry point that is not considered invalidating. There's a lot of repetition in that so that you can remember. The outcome is that there are two kinds of entry points. An invalidating entry point, which is directly or indirectly connected to the digestive system, or a non-invalidating entry point, which is not connected. If the above is applied on the mentioned entry points, then one can draw a table highlighting what is connected to the digestive system and what is not. So here you go. Uh, entry point mouth connected, yes. Entry point nose, yes. Entry point ears, no. Okay. The ear is not connected to the digestive system at all unless there is a hole in the eardrum, in which case it will, it will be indirectly connected. It says, classically, the scholars mention the ear as being an invalidating entry point. This is because they consider the ear to be connected with the throat. However, modern-day medicine negates any such connection unless there is a hole in the eardrum. So this is an important, this is an interesting issue because it's taking, it's basing it off what the fuqaha formulated in terms of principles and now looking okay what does modern science say about this issue and then we apply the principles so we might come to a different conclusion uh, than what the books say so ears no eyes no the eye is not considered connected to the system at all Modern-day medicine establishes a connection between the eye and the nose. Thereby, it should follow that the eye is an invalidating entry point. However, the Muslim scholars treated the eye as a special case, giving it a status similar to the pores of the body, such that the eye is considered to absorb whatever enters into it, and thereby what one can taste or sense in the mouth is the effects of the absorption and not the substance itself. Additionally, there are numerous hadith that clarify that the eye is not considered an invalidating entry point, like how the Prophet ﷺ used to use antimony when fasting. The presence of these hadith also rules out the possibility of considering the eye an invalidating entry point. <coughs> so there's more conversation there. Anus, yes. Um... Uh, the anus is directly connected to the intestines. He says what matters in relation to this is that the substance reaches about a finger's length into the anus and any chance of that happening is rare. Inshallah. Ya Rab. Uh, the vagina? No, the vagina is not connected to the digestive system at all. Classically, the scholars mention the vagina as an entry, a validating entry point. This is because they consider it to be connected to the digestive system. However, modern medicine negates this. And the urinal passage, no. It's not connected to the digestive system. Deep head injury, no. 
deep head injury is not connected to the digestive system at all unless the basal skull is fractured in which case it will be indirectly connected to the throat so classically they in included this because they thought it was connected but it's not and then a deep um, abdominal injury yes uh, deep abdominal injury is connected um, What matters in relation to the injury is whether or not it is connected to the digestive system. So we already said that. So what do we have in the end? Mouth, nose, anus, deep abdominal injury. These are the five. Or is it four? One, two, three, four. Four. Four out of the ten. Mouth, nose, Anus, deep abdominal injury. These are the four. Okay. So, so far we have discernible substance reaching one of these places, reaching the digestive system through one of these places. Based on the table, the, uh, the invalidating entry points are the mouth, the nose, the anus, a deep abdominal injury. It will only invalidate the fast if a substance enters through these and passes on to the digestive system. So it will invalidate the fast to swallow bread. But putting bread into the mouth without it reaching the throat will not be invalidating. Likewise for an asthma pump, because it is used at the mouth, which is an invalidating entry point, and therefore it will invalidate the fast. The non-invalidating entry points are the other six. It will not invalidate the fast if a substance enters through these. Whether the body derives benefit from the substance or not, so taking injections in the arm, thigh, buttocks, or the like will not invalidate the fast. Likewise, for taking eye drops, because they are used at the eye, which is not an invalidating entry point. Principle, only a substance that enters from an invalidating entry point invalidates the fast. The fast is not invalidated if a substance enters from an entry point that is not considered invalidating. Okay, so now we're those are three principles. We said there are five, right? 1.4 is the manner of the stay of stay. The substance can stay in the digestive system in two ways: by staying independently in the digestive system, or by being attached to something outside of the digestive system. It only invalidates if it stays independently in the system. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, contrary to if the substance is attached to something outside, in which case it is not considered to have reached the digestive system and will not invalidate the fast. So if someone took a raisin and tied it with a thread and then inserted, inserted the raisin into the body without letting go of the thread, then that will not be an independent stay in the digestive system and it will not invalidate the fast because the raisin would be attached to something that is outside of the digestive system and that would not constitute an independent stay for the raisin inside the digestive system. So only an independent stay will invalidate, and anything that does not have that will not invalidate the fast. So say for some reason you're fasting, and something happens, and you go to the hospital, and they need to check like the inside of your system, so they stick one of those cameras down your throat, down your esophagus, and then into the your, your digestive tract. It's a discernible substance that's entering from a place that it can enter from, um, and it's reaching the digestive tract 
but its manner of stay is not independent. Its manner of stay is not independent. They're sticking it down, they're pulling it up. So that's number four. Number five is the presence of excuses. So if the four criteria before this are met, there are a number of excuses that will still make it so that it does not break one's fast. So what are those things? Forgetfulness. So the person forgets that they're fasting. Um, this is irregardless of the amount. You could eat a whole meal and realize afterwards. Or you can take a bite and realize right afterwards. <coughs> Number two, what is stuck between the teeth from before fajr? <laughs> That's an important condition. From before fajr, that which is stuck between the teeth from before fajr. <coughs> uh, less than the size of a chickpea. So we covered that. Less than the size of a chickpea is acceptable. Bigger than the size of a chickpea is not acceptable. A very small substance that enters into the mouth. So this is something the size of a sesame seed. Um, if it is chewed such that no taste is found in the throat, substance was chewed in a manner such that its body disappeared and it could not be tasted, then it would not invalidate the fast to swallow it. If the substance was chewed in a manner such that it could still be tasted, then it would invalidate the the fast to swallow it you have to spit it out unavoidable substances this applies to things which one is not able to guard oneself against and if one were able to do so then it would entail unbearable hardship so they're understanding the principles in light of the legal maxim that out overwhelming difficulty is leads to facilitation so it doesn't change the rule but it 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 um Tints the rule in a sense. Examples include water that remains in the mouth and nose from wudu, possible damp when one is showering, mucus, snot, saliva, saliva that may end up on the lips from talking, bugs and flies, dust, sm smog from the traffic, flour from a flour mill, what may be in the air when working as a construction worker. This is not exhaustive, but they are examples. An unavoidable substance will invalidate the fast if deliberately swallowed or inhaled. So if it's done deliberately, that's a problem. So But if it's, you know, just happens, that's an excuse. Things that are not excused Accidents, such that if one by accident while remembering that one was fasting ended up doing something that would invalidate the fast, then that would be considered invalidated. So if one mistakenly swallowed water while making wudu, then that would invalidate the fast. They did it by accident, but it still invalidates the fast. Invalidating the fast out of necessity, doing some doing something out of necessity that will invalidate the fast is not considered is not considered an excuse that will lift the invalidation. So if one feels sick and drinks water, must take medicine, must use an asthma pump or the like, then it will invalidate the fast. Unawareness. Being unaware that something will invalidate the fast is not an excuse. Um, so someone didn't know medicine. Taking medicine inval will invalidate the fast. Therefore, they took a pill for a headache. 
that's it still invalidates it number four is sleeping such that if one does something while sleeping that would invalidate the fast it would be considered invalidating so i think that came up in the example of like someone dripping water into the mouth of the person while they're sleeping uh, unconsciousness unconsciousness is akin to sleep so it's the same as the one before it insanity is the same as the one before it and being forced is akin to an accident the action is still attributed to the person who is forced even if he did not perform it willing willfully so they still it would still break the fast so principles if no excuse is found then the fast is invalidated if an excuse is found then the fast is not invalidated so here's the conclusion summary of principles what must be met to invalidate the fast? Only a substance with a discernible body fast uh, reaches the digestive system from an entry point that invalidates the fast from a valid uh, from an invalidating entry point uh, with an independent stay and no excuse. If all five are met, then the fast is invalidated. On the other hand, what will not invalidate the fast does not have a discernible body, does not reach the digestive system, doesn't go from an entry point that is considered, um, doesn't have an independent stay in the digestive system, or there's an excuse. If any one of these is found, then the fast is not invalidated. If any one of these is found, then the fast is not invalidated. Okay, so there are five criteria that must be met for the fast to be invalidated. Discernible substance, reaches digestive system, entry point, gains independence day, no excuses present. If, uh, if all of these are present, then it invalidates the fast. And if any of the opposites are present, it does not invalidate. So not discernible substance, doesn't reach digestive tract, doesn't go from an entry point uh, that were mentioned and doesn't have an independent stay or there's some excuse this entire discussion can be summed up as so if you want to memorize something you memorize this pair this sentence the fast is only invalidated if a substance enters from an entry point that is connected with the digestive system giving the substance an independent stay therein without the presence of an excuse that could prevent the fast from being invalidated that's the entirety of the last 14 pages that's the summary of those pages. Principles on what invalidates the fast. Okay, so here's a few practical examples and the conclusions based on, on why. So you can test yourself. Acupuncture, no, because it's not entering from an entry point. Asthma pump, yes, because of discernible substance, entry point, and so on. Contact lenses, no, because it's the eyes. Creams and lotions, no, it's the skin. Deodorant, no, it's the skin. Eardrops, no, it's the ears. They're not entry points. Endoscopy, yes. Entails the use of a solution sprayed into the throat that will invalidate the fast. Extracting blood, no. Eye drops, no. Injections, no. IV drip, no. Lighting incense, no unless someone inhales the visible fumes, but otherwise they're okay. Uh, lip balm, no. Unless they lick their lips right afterwards and then swallow it. Makeup, no. Mouthwash, depends. 
if they're careful that nothing is swallowed, then it's, it doesn't invalidate. Nose spray, yes, because it's going through the nose into the digestive tract. Patches, no. So like a nicotine patch, no. Uh, pills and tablets, yes, because they're going through the mouth into the digestive system. Smelling food, no. Smelling perfume, no. Um, nothing's entering the body. Smoking, yes. Fumes enter the body from the mouth. Suppository, yes. Enters the digestive system from the anus. Toothpaste, depends. One must take due care that no substance is swallowed. If anything is swallowed, it will invalidate the fast. And vaginal examination, no. So that's a good little table to apply it to. I think you probably agree that this paper is really very clear and very useful. Section 2. So that's all of Section 1, which is not related to sexual intimacy. All of Part 1 is not related to sexual intimacy. Now you're in Section 2. Uh, deals with two discussions, that which relates to ejaculation, orgasms, and intercourse, and that which relates to intimacy between the spouses. So the first category, ejaculations, orgasms, and intercourse. Intercourse in always invalidates the fast, regardless of whether or not there's other things. Just the act of intercourse invalidates the fast. Ejaculation or orgasm without intercourse. Uh, there's a distinction between it being with physical stimulation or without. So if there's ejaculation or orgasm without physical stimulation, um, this does not invalidate the fast. So they have a wet dream or they're looking at his or her spouse and that happens somehow, then that would not uh, invalidate the fast. But if it's with physical stimulation, then it invalidates the fast, which is to ejaculate or have an orgasm through some kind of physical stimulation, whether it is at the private parts or elsewhere, this will invalidate the fast. So if someone touches, kisses, or has other physical contact with his or her spouse that results in an ejaculation or orgasm, then it will invalidate the fast. If any of this happened forgetfully, then it does not invalidate the fast. Principles. Intercourse always invalidates the fast. Ejaculation or orgasm with physical stimulation invalidates the fast. And ejaculation or orgasm without physical stimulation does not invalidate the fast. Uh, now, part two is intimacy. Different cases of intimacy that could be encountered are outlined below. Number one, thinking. Thinking about intimacy does not invalidate the fast. Looking, looking at one's spouse does not invalidate the fast. Talking about intimacy does not invalidate the fast. Kissing, there are three types of kissings that can be considered. Non-passionate kissing which is kissing that does not entail an exchange of saliva. This does not invalidate the fast. Uh, passionate kissing, which entails exchange of saliva, would invalidate the fast, with or without desire, even. Um, kissing elsewhere on the body, uh, as long as there is no substance that is swallowed, then it does not invalidate the fast. So a kiss on the hand, cheek, forehead, would not invalidate the fast. 
So that's kissing. Then there's touching. Touching in an intimate manner does not invalidate the fast, even with desire. And being sexually aroused in itself does not invalidate the fast. Intimacy, though, is disliked when there is fear that it could lead to the invalidation of the fast. So that's a personal call. Principles. Any intimacy that entails swallowing a substance will invalidate the fast. Any intimacy that does not entail swallowing a substance will not invalidate the fast. So here's the conclusion in the chart again. What invalidates the fast? Intercourse, always. Ejaculation or orgasm with physical stimulation. Any intimacy that entails swallowing a substance will invalidate the fast. So if all of them are met, uh, any... uh, any sorry if any of the above uh, the above points will invalidate the fast unless they were done out of forgetfulness each independently in contra- in contrast to the one before it they, these are not built on each other the one before it are built on each other what will not invalidate the fast ejaculation or orgasm without physical stimulation any intimacy that does not entail swallowing a substance and those two do not invalidate the fast, whether done deliberately or forgetfully, with or without desire. So there are three cases that invalidate. Intercourse, ejaculation or orgasm with stim- physical stimulation, intimacy that entails swallowing a substance. And two cases that do not, ejaculation or orgasm without physical stimulation, intimacy that does not entail swallowing a substance. So how do you summarize all of that in one sentence again? The fast is only invalidated by intimacy if it entails swallowing a substance or ejaculation or orgasm with physical stimulation or intercourse with or without ejaculation or orgasm. That's the summary of the whole thing. So that's that's this paper. So if you want to review it, you just look at the chart and you look at the paragraph. You go to the other one. You look at the, um, the chart. You look at the paragraph. And in doing so, you can recall everything that would break one's fast. Allahu a'lam wa sallallahu wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Any questions? Should be pretty straightforward. Your question, if it's related to this, is pretty much answered by just going back to what's there. Uh, I believe so. Um, uh, see Rafael Osmani. Let's see. He is. Um, <coughs> let me make this smaller. Uh, president of Dara Ulum Karachi. They're brothers. He is the elder brother of Taqi Osmani. They are both the sons of Muhammad Shafi Osmani. Subhanallah. What a family. Subhanallah. Yeah. It's a good paper, huh? Very useful. Alhamdulillah. Well, friends, this brings us to the end of our journey. 
<laughs> so alhamdulillah it's been a pleasure to spend these sessions with you may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from all of us and uh, you know may Allah accept us from those who engaged in his remembrance and those who sought knowledge of his deen inshallah Amin. Barakallah fikum. The WhatsApp group is still there. If anything comes up, feel free to reach out, you know. And as you review and as you go through things. And uh, blessed Jumu'ah to all of you. Inshallah. What a, what a, a gift to end on Jumu'ah. Right. Alhamdulillah. And uh, uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from all of you and reward all of you for making the effort and for uh, encouraging me to do this um, and please forgive me for any shortcomings or inadequacies or mistakes that I may have made inshallah barakallah fikum subhanakum we'll just make dua because anytime you finish something it's good bismillahirrahmanirrahim alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen wa sallallahu wa sallam ala sayyidina muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam allahumma fiqna ila ma tuhibbuhu wa tarda wa ja'alna min abidika su'ada وأمتنا على كلمة الهدى واختم لنا ختم الشهداء اللهم وفقنا إلى العمل بما علمتنا به وفقنا إلى العمل لما علمتنا به وفقنا إلى العمل بما علمتنا به اللهم اجعل هذا حجة لنا لا علينا اجعل هذا حجة لنا لا علينا اجعل هذا حجة لنا يا لا علينا يا رب وفقنا إلى كل خير وباعدنا عن كل سوء احفظنا من بين أيدينا ومن خلفنا ومن فوقنا ومن تحتنا ومن شمالنا ومن يميننا يا الله يا أرحم الراحمين يا الله نسألك التقى والهدى والعفاف والغنى إننا نسألك التقى والهدى والعفاف والغنى يا رب كن معنا ولا تكن علينا وكن لنا صاحبا في الدنيا والآخرة وكن لنا صاحبا في السفر والحضر يا الله يا أرحم الراحمين اللهم اغفر المؤلفين الذين قرأنا منهم وأحفظ المؤلفين الذين استفدنا منهم وأحفظ كل من تعلمنا شيئا منهم وكل من أدلى لنا بدلوه من العلوم ظاهرا وباطنا اللهم أمين وصلى الله وسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم الحمد لله رب العالمين الذي بنعمته تتم الصالحات جزاكم الله خيرا السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وعليكم السلام ورحمة الله